Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer web radio show brought to you by Calm Bach Feeds. My name is Andy Schneider, but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer, author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, national spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds program, and editor-in-chief of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Each week, I welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics, including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, homesteading, and living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Be sure to visit us online at chickenwhisperer.com, where you can follow us on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook, and subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Once again, I would like to thank all of you for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. At Kalmbach Feeds, our layer pellets and crumbles are all natural, antibiotic-free, with no animal byproducts. Formulated just for laying hens, our feed is fortified with essential amino acids and calcium to ensure maximum production of nutritious, tasty, strong-shelled eggs. From our family to yours, Feed your hens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome, goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Find a dealer at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H, feeds.com. Or order your layer pellets and crumples today on amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. I'm about to say something that may shock you. There's a chance the mealworm treats you're feeding your chickens are doing them more harm than good. Most of the mealworms sold in the U.S. are hollow and empty because of how they're processed, leaving them with little or no nutritional value. The problem is chickens love healthy insects like mealworms, but there hasn't been a way to get access to them in large quantities. Until now. The only mealworm company I endorse is The Honest Worm because of the way they raise and process their mealworms. Now, they've set aside some bags only for my listeners to try for free. Just cover the cost of shipping and handling. Head on over to freemealworms.com. That's freemealworms.com. If you don't see sold out at the top of the page, that means there's still some bags left, but only for a limited time. Go to freemealworms.com and get your free bag today. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. 
Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at idealpoultry.com. That's idealpoultry.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFradio.com. That's GQFradio.com. Attention chicken lovers, now you can honor the chickens in your lives with a hand-drawn portrait made by an artist who loves a flock of her own. Genesee Cluck artist Julie White not only draws the intricacies of their beautiful feathers and coloration with a classic portrait format, she also captures each chicken's personality. Chickens have character and deserve a commanding presence in a chicken-sized portrait, and this artist wants to spread the chicken love. Go to chickendrawings.com to find Genesee Cluck prints, cards, and tea towels with an array of chickens who may remind you of that certain chicken you love. Custom drawings are also available if your bird wants to shine with his or her own custom portrait. Once again, that's chickendrawings.com, where you'll find the chickens drawn by Julie White of Genesee Cluck. How would you like a punch in the beak? And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky... You'll know it's... Super Chicken! Alrighty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Combox Feeds. I've got about three, I think, announcements to make, and then we'll get right to our show today. Poultry vaccine considerations with my good friend, uh, poultry veterinarian, Dr. Maurice Pateski. And... Um, so let's get right to these announcements so we can get right on to our topic schedule today. First, I want to introduce a new sponsor. And um, she reached out to me and, you know, not sure if, if this would be the right um, um, way to go about things with, with her business. But, you know, over the years, I've been doing this over a decade. And everywhere I can, I try to help folks. And over the years, we've had small uh, mom and pop businesses, and we try to work with them advertising on the show and getting the word out, uh, basement businesses, garage businesses, startup businesses, things like that. Um, and this was no exception. And so she reached out to me, and I initially kind of like I always do said, well, here here are the requirements, and, and this is kind of our format, and this is the cost, things, and things like that. And uh, she reached back uh, to me and says, you know, I'd still really like to uh, try this avenue of advertising for my business. And so I said, you know what, we we got to do this. I want to help her out as much as I can. So uh, I gave her an advertising deal for a couple of months, and we worked out um, the uh, the cost for that advertising deal. And then when I started researching some of her, um, (laughs) the first thing that I realized when I was talking to her on the phone was that, um, girl, you need to charge more. 
because I went to her website and um, Genesee Cluck, you, you just heard the new commercial. Um, she's going to be advertising on on the show for a couple of months and uh, and see how it goes. And hopefully we can send some uh, chicken love her way. Uh, she is an artist and she's a very good artist at that. But uh, her, her uh, the first thing I noticed, other than the beautiful artwork, were her prices. I was, uh, you know, she's got. Uh, tea towels, and you know I'm a big burly guy, but that may not interest me. But we've got a lot of crazy chicken ladies that listen to the show, and right down your alley, folks. Uh, but then she's got greeting cards, the empty cards. She'll do a portrait for one of your special birds in your backyard. But the price—I was told her. I said, "Look," I said, "Am I reading this right? This is this is the price for this this product." And she was like, "Yeah," and you know I was kind of like, "I can't even buy a card at Walmart for that price." I mean, it's 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 amazing. Here's a custom, beautiful chicken-related for all you crazy chicken ladies out there and people who love their poultry. Um, note cards and actually cards you send, I guess, with a little envelope, whatever. And I'm like, you know, seriously? But you need you gotta go check them out. Chickendrawings.com. When you see the prices, you'll probably be amazed as I was. I'm like, are you serious? I can't even buy a card at Target or it's definitely not Hallmark uh, store for these. This is a great deal. You've got to raise your prices. So we're going to see how it goes. Maybe she'll raise her prices, but it'll still be a good value. <laughs> but I wanted to introduce our, one of our new sponsors for the next couple of months, small business and artist, wonderful work. And again, great prices over at chickendrawings.com. Go visit her and see if you can uh, support her small business, uh, American-owned small business, uh, woman-operated business, if that's important to you, um, and go check that out and, and support her as we can, chickendrawings.com. So I want to get that out of the way and share with and welcome our new uh, sponsor. Next thing I want to talk about is this coming up week is IPPE. I mean, this is like the I – mean, I'm sure they do awards – there for some things, but it's almost kind of like, uh, and I won't even own a television, so I just kind of, I mean, it's what, the, the Grammys and the Oscars and the, the, I mean, this is the poultry event, uh, global, I mean, worldwide, every corner of the earth, um, awesome show, I've been there several times, uh, this year will be no exception, I'm planning on going, and I, and I, I did a Facebook Live video early this morning, and I, and I shared with you, I said, look, if you're within a two-hour drive, anything over two hours, it still would be worth it, I think, for you to come on in to Atlanta and, and, and at least do one day. Uh, but if you're within two hours, it's definitely worth it, two hours driving in in the morning and two hours driving home. If you're over that, you just have to make the decision. If you can even find a hotel, normally it's uh, last weekend was the traditional IPP date, but there was a Super Bowl here in Atlanta, so that kind of trumped everything. So uh, they moved it last year, I remember them telling the weekend after. Because there are no hotels for the Super Bowl, obviously, and then they're four grand a piece or higher. And then, of course, for IPP right now, you can't, probably can't find a hotel in Atlanta anywhere because you've got people, again, from all corners of the earth, Global Poultry, uh, the, the International Poultry and Processing Expo, and um, it's it's amazing. So I will tell you it's not for everybody, but it is for everybody. Um, you, you know, it, if you don't think science um, is in your backyard with your backyard chickens, then you're fooling yourself because it is, and it's, and it's a lot there. Um, but, you know, it's, I invite you, go to their website, just search IPPE, look at what it's all about. You may, you know, stick your nose up and say, no, not for me. Uh, but then still, it's for you <laughs> because it is awesome. Uh, I've been many times, and you still walking through all these huge, amazing tens, you know, booths of all this technology about poultry uh, over anything, like incubation and brooding and transportation and processing, you name it. Next thing you know, there's a little booth of folks selling little packets of 
electrolyte uh, to go in your backyard chicken water. I mean, there's, there's, there, they're not, you know, you'll see some of that here. Um, You'll see folks that are, you know, egg cartons companies that are there for even small scale. Uh, you'll see other products, uh, odor control products. You'll see, uh, I know Patrick Haley with Carefree Enzymes is there just about every year. Um, and he's got products directly, directly involved in backyard poultry. So uh, it's, it's, it's amazing. There's class out sessions for education and classes, which is amazing. So I just want to encourage everybody to take this moment to say, look, if you're within a two-hour drive, it's a no-brainer. If you're over that, then it's still probably a no-brainer, but I know with time and maybe a hotel, you know, you got to factor it in. But it's hundreds of thousands, I think, of square feet. It's amazing how many square feet. Half a million square feet, it's, it's crazy. Uh, at this big conference center downtown Atlanta, all about poultry. And uh, I will be going doing Facebook Live. i got two cell phone batteries so they don't go dead. I'll have my charger with me. And uh, we already told folks on our Facebook page, I'll be going live and, and doing some stuff there uh, over a couple of day period. I'm not sure. I got so much stuff going on. There's after parties, which is kind of cool. Uh, I've been invited to a couple of those. So Wednesday night, I'll be at probably some swank uh, restaurant in downtown Atlanta rooftop or something. I think I heard and doing you know meeting the who's who and that type of thing. So that's really cool um, and and whatnot. I'm hoping that um, I'll see if maybe I can meet up with our guest today, Dr. Pateski. I think he's going to be there Monday. I think with a student that's going to be doing a presentation, I might be able to have lunch with him and go to that presentation. We'll just see how that goes on Monday. Tuesday, I think, will be my main day there probably because that's the, really the opening day of it. It's Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday next week. And then Wednesday night is the, kind of the after party and whatnot that's going on uh, all in downtown, and I'll be going to those. Maybe I can party hop like the stars out in California or something. I don't know. But it's pretty cool. It's fun, and uh, I'm going to that. Lastly, I wanted to share with you, and if you're following me on Facebook, and I know most of you do, we got our awesome Rita Marie chicken coop delivered the day before yesterday. Um, it was it was awesome. It was Tuesday, I believe, and I thought they were going to be delivering it because we've had Amish coops delivered before in the past, and um, I was thinking, you know, an F-350, uh, F-250 with a gooseneck trailer with three or four coops on it, whatever, and, and uh, we're out by the gate and having a general idea when they were coming to talk to the driver, and I hear, you know, the Jake brake coming down our, our, our hill on the, on the rural road we live on. I said, that's no F-350. And uh, sure enough, huge semi-truck, huge long trailer, probably 50, at least 53 feet, um, and a really high-tech trailer, had four or five coops on it, and it just had this trailer that had this this uh, chain and pulley system in the center. He just put this long steel block behind our coop, hooked it to this chain, pressed the button remote control, and it slid that coop all the way to the end of the trailer. It was amazing. Then he gets his little fancy forklift, which I've seen before. You've probably seen it before. Tiny little thing. Puts wheels on the skids. Drives it all the way up the hill in the back of the farm where we actually want this particular coop. Got it set up for us. It was amazing. And uh, it, it's awesome. We leveled it up ourselves. We got him on his way. He had another delivery up close to Tennessee that same day. Um, and uh, all those pictures are on our Facebook page. You can go check that out. It was awesome. Really impressed with the quality. We've had Amish coops before in the past, and um, I was initially I was kind of disappointed. It may just be the company at that time uh, we got them from, but like the egg, uh, uh, the nest box dividers were very thin. It's almost like it was quarter-inch plywood, just kind of this, this stuff, man. They, they don't play games. <laughs> I mean, uh, for example, the egg box door, uh, on the outside of the coop that you raise up, there's like two pneumatic, kind of like you would on a hatchback car, uh, that, that, that slowly open it up for you, and then there's pressure to kind of lower it as well. 
on our other Amish poop, it was, it was again, kind of just thin, uh, quarter-inch plywood material. There was no, like, on this one, for example, there's some big wood blocks where the hinges are actually, to give it some meat, where that egg door raises up and down. And uh, the other one, it was just truly a difference um, that I've learned with this coop versus our other two Amish coops that we had delivered from Pennsylvania uh, in quality. Totally night and day. Uh, which uh, which I'm, thank goodness, and I'm impressed with. So if you want to see the coop we got, you can check out our Facebook page. We're getting another one just like it in June, um, and it's uh, Rita Marie's uh, Chicken Coops, and their website, because for a long time they were just known as largechickencoops.com. Go check it out. You'll hear the commercial uh, on the, uh, um, the second half of the show when we do our commercial break. And the last thing I want to talk about is I think I, I saw I had a comment over on uh, iTunes where someone was talking about the commercials that we play on our podcast. We've been doing this podcast, uh, uh, today's episode, for example, is 1,155. So 1,155 episodes, and we've done more than that. I've deleted some because of sound issues or, or, whatever, or whatever the case may be. Um, so we've probably done probably over 1,200 episodes. To give you some comparison there, Seinfeld, only did about 300 and something episodes. MASH, 280 episodes. Uh, Friends, 300 episodes. We've done almost 1,200 episodes. We've done it for a long time. If you compare any other radio show, whether it be talk radio, NPR, throw some names out there, make people mad, Hannity Show, whoever, whatever out there, even regular old FM radio, um, you go count their commercials. You go count the time in a a two- or three-hour or even a one-hour talk radio broadcast and you count the commercials that they have versus the commercials we have here on the show. I try to lump them together. You know, I could take, just like on AM radio, I could go every 10 minutes and do a commercial. I could go every 15 or every 20 minutes and do a commercial. So it may seem like, from the listener point of view, we're we're stacked with commercials. I try to spend about four minutes at the beginning of the show after our introduction to get some commercials played, and then probably about uh, 40, 45 minutes past the hour, I'll do another lump of commercials. And it lets, it lets you to you know listen, listen to our sponsors, choose to support our sponsors. But then if you need a bathroom break 40 minutes into the show, you can go and do that or need another pen or some more paper to take more notes. So I'd strategically over, over 11 years of doing the show, we do it that way for a reason. And if you count the minutes and the commercials that we do here on the show versus any other broadcast, TV, NPR, radio show, anything, far, far less. So there's no reason. Maybe it's just because how we stack them uh, because I don't want to have to interrupt our awesome guests every 10 minutes. Oh, got to go to break. Sorry, hold that thought. Got to go to break. No. The initial commercials at the beginning of the show, if you want to say to get them out of the way, if you will, and then another one about 40 to 45 uh, through minutes into the show uh, to finish up with that. That's it. Uh, I can tell you I'd get a lot more complaints or comments if I did a commercial every 15 minutes, every 10 minutes, even if it was just one, breaking it up, uh, and, I, and I don't think it would be fair to our guests. So I wanted to clear that for whoever it was that had posted some negative comments about the ads that we play. And at least they're related. If you listen to uh, NPR or, or any other radio show, you're going to get ads that you don't even care about. And even ads that you probably don't want your children to hear. <laughs> even here, they're related to poultry. If you're into poultry or listening to the show, they're related. So at least you got that going for you, right? So, alrighty, I got, got everything off my checklist I want to talk about uh, pre, 
topic. So we got poultry vaccine considerations uh, with our good friend Dr. Maurice Pateski, and he might just for a second give us an update on the exotic Newcastle uh, outbreak, virulent Newcastle outbreak that's going on. So I think there's been one more uh, commercial um, uh, facility that's been affected, and now there I think this is just stuff that I've seen out there. That don't you know? He's going to clear me up on this. That they now there are designated. I don't even know what to call it. This may be a rough call, like kill zones or coal zones, if you will, in this block or this block. So maybe, uh, not putting him on the spot, maybe we can, uh, he can give us kind of an update on that since he's knee-deep in it out there in uh, California. And then we'll get right into poultry vaccination considerations, which, hey, kind of related to the outbreak. So, Dr. Petesky, welcome to the show. We appreciate you coming on. And I'll kind of turn it over to you. Wherever you'd like to get started is fine with us. Yeah, well, thanks again, Andy, and congratulations on your 1,000-plus uh, shows. That's uh, quite an accomplishment. Some are better than others, I'll admit. I'll go back and listen to some and be like, what am I thinking? You know, so, they're, you know, but, <laughs> like, hmm. but at, really over the last couple of years, we've changed some things where they're easy to find, the topics are easy to find, and you can click if you want to listen or not. But I think over at least the last two, three years, they've been really straightforward. There was, obviously, we deviated with some things and some broadcasts and some topics and just, you know, and... Um, but I think you know, over time, experience pays, and we got it down pat now. So um, thank you so much for that compliment. Well, I, I think you missed though. I, I, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the longest running show in the history of television now is The Simpsons, right. and I think they only had <laughs> you know 600 plus shows. So you're 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 ahead of them. You're you're twice as uh, prolific as they are, and that's been around <laughs> since I was a little kid. That's so funny. Yeah, and I remember I looking at that one day, and it just stuck with me. The Mash and the uh, Seinfeld and Friends, and those you know people would be able to relate to that. Simpsons is a good one. I didn't think about that. So, um, yeah, probably at least twelve hundred shows, and many of were deleted to sound issues or something like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, again, it's not. I know it's different TV, big you know, versus a podcast, but still, there's not many that have that number. So we're proud of that, and it's yeah. all related to poultry for the most part there was some natural living some homesteading some gardening some you know across the board we're really kind of over the years have more focused on on the poultry itself but um yeah look at those numbers every day we broadcast i'm like wow that's crazy 10 years yeah well keep up the good work that's awesome thank you so much Um, the other thing I wanted to mention too, so I, I will second your uh, your endorsement of if, if people can attend the IPPE uh, meeting in Atlanta next week, um, which I'll see you at. I'll, I'll send an email later so we can find a time to to meet awesome. up. Um, but that meeting is 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 intense. Is um, there are sure. literally like three football field sized um, showrooms basically where they show just all this different type of poultry equipment, and um, it's just fascinating. Even if you have no interest in 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 poultry or poultry production, it, it's pretty amazing just to see like the level of <laughs> machinery and engineering and biology and, and just you know we realize that this is you know th- this is the the infrastructure that helps um, the planet produce you know billions of broilers every year and um, maintain, you know, and, and billions of eggs every year. Um, it's, it's pretty impressive just from that, from that perspective. If people really want to nerd out, they can come to my side of the meeting, which is, um, not as exciting as that, but that's the International Poultry Scientific Forum. Um, and, uh, I'll be giving a talk on some machine learning type stuff. Um, 
and, and how we can use those kind of newer technologies to hopefully um, make some predictions and understand our data better. Um, so um, that side of the meeting is, is much smaller, um, not very exciting, usually a bunch of pasty white scientists like myself that are grumpy because we're not on the other side of the meeting. Um, but um, it is interesting, and especially uh, for those of you that have um, – you know, children or um, are just interested in science and kind of nerding out a little. It's it's pretty interesting to see, you know, some of the talks there, um, which kind of cover a whole, um, which kind of cover a whole suite of uh, of, 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 of of topic areas. So, um, anyway, um, wanted to just kind of mention that and kind of uh, give a plug for that also. Um, so I wanted to talk a little about. Um, um, the current outbreak of virulent Newcastle disease um, in, in, in Southern California. And unfortunately, it's not just in Southern California. Um, it has spread, as I think you um, mentioned or implied, it has sped, spread to the town of Spanish Fork in Utah, which is about 50 miles south of Salt Lake City. It's believed that this is linked to the Southern California outbreak. This is not Unfortunately, terribly surprising. Um, so when we did have an outbreak in 2002, um, it did spread to several other states, um, including Arizona, Nevada, Texas. Um, and 2002, if we can kind of try to remember back then, um, you know, all the online trading of poultry um, wasn't as prolific as it is now. So um, we have a, an additional complication um, with trying to kind of mitigate and make people aware online when they are trading poultry. And I think this is where all your listeners really come in. Whether you live in Southern California, whether you live in Utah or not, doesn't really matter. The way the world works now is we're, we're very connected. Um, and obviously poultry in Southern California can end up in any corner of the world um, illegally, um, unfortunately, uh, very quickly um, within a day or two. And if you don't understand, you know, what the consequences of that are, um, you know, going back to 2002, um, they had to depopulate over 3 million birds. Um, and that in 2002 dollars, the cost of that outbreak was over $160 million. Um, so we're, we're dealing with something very similar right now, unfortunately, in Southern California with these added complications of technology. Um, and uh, interestingly enough, the outbreak is happening almost in the identical region of Southern California that happened um, in the early 2000s. Um, there's probably several reasons why that's so, but um, it is, it is going to be here probably for, for a while, um, probably months. Um, at the minimum, uh, the virus, you know, viruses like this time of year when things are wet and damp and cool, um, and, and hopefully we can control it as much as possible until hopefully the, the summertime when, um, the hot sun can hopefully, um, help inactivate the virus, reduce the spread of it, and we can, um, kind of stay ahead of it. Um, you did imply that, you know, kind of there's these kind of zones of depopulation, so depopulation is obviously just a euphemism for euthanasia or, or, or killing um, affected or suspected um, birds. And that's really the best way that we know how to control uh, a, a disease like this. And the goal is really to kill infected birds because there is no cure, um, to kill infected birds so we can um, hopefully protect the unaffected um, birds. And it, that's a really challenging thing to do. In the, in the commercial poultry industry, it's a little easier. 
um, because you know you're dealing with one owner, you're on one farm or one facility, um, and 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 that's that can be done relatively quickly, which is which is a good thing to do because um, the virus cannot spread. Um, the virus cannot spread in dead birds. It cannot replicate in dead birds, excuse me. Um, so uh, that can be a much harder thing to do if in, in backyard populations because uh, now you're dealing with uh, multiple individuals. Um, you're dealing with, um, you know, you have to make decisions on if a bird had contact or, or, or dangerous contacts with other affected birds. What do you do in those situations? Um, do you want to err on the side of caution and depopulate um, potentially affected flocks. And these are really difficult decisions. And, you know, I can tell you as um, someone that knows, you know, most many of the people that are involved in this in this outbreak from the response side uh, at the USDA and the California Department of Food and Agriculture, um, this is backbreaking work. They have to go door to door to door to door. Um, there are all kinds of challenges. Um, some people, unfortunately, try to kind of outsmart um, some of the authorities, but um, I will say that these people work very hard. They are animal lovers. They're veterinarians for the most part and animal health technicians, and, and they've chosen this line of work because um, they want to help animals, and, and it, it does. it is a challenging situation to deal with um, on their side, but um, the quicker they can kind of um, address the affected birds, that the more likely they are to protect the unaffected birds, um, which are uh, hopefully will stay unaffected. Um, so it's really challenging. Um, I, I will say that, and, and I know this is kind of the, the time of my um, radio kind of hour where I do talk about biosecurity. So at, at the simplest level, we want to keep the virus from coming into contact with live poultry. Um, that is the most important thing that we kind of need to think about. So that you know, that's the the purest definition of the of biosecurity. There, um, the virus can be pretty ubiquitous. Um, and we need to make sure that uh, we don't have any dangerous contacts between um, suspected birds or unknown birds um, and our flocks. Um, we also need to be careful of, of wildlife. So the virus is, is really ubiquitous in um, all different types of wild birds. Um, there are some kind of mitigating factors there in the sense that not all the the viruses that wild birds can carry will cause the virulent Newcastle disease. Um, the most important thing to do is really just reduce contacts between um, poultry that you do not know that their, um, their disease status and your poultry. And that goes to equipment, that goes to shoes, that goes to when you go to a feed store, not having the same shoes on when you go back, back into your flock, um, because who knows that who was there right before you. And if you had some mud on your boots and you were um, going back and forth um, between, um, you know, those two facilities, that, that's a great way, unfortunately, to transmit disease. Um, so make so I just want to make people aware that outbreak is still ongoing. It's probably not going anywhere for several months, if I had to guess. Um, so um, we need to be really vigilant and we need to be very uh, cautious and we need to spread the word um, that, that – um, we need to be um, vigilant and cautious and, and, and really focus on our biosecurity. That being said, and I want to kind of transition to the, the second part of our, of our talk today, which is these vaccinating strategies. Um, you know, question, vaccine. Uh, yes, go on. Sorry. A real quick question. Uh, I, I didn't hear you say it, I, but I, I, and then I don't think it's any secret um, that just so our listeners know, the newly found 
outbreak or positive case, I think you said in, was it Utah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, Correct. Just so folks know, that was birds, or they believe that was birds that were transported there from Southern California. It wasn't like, oh, uh, wild birds are just up here due to poor biosecurity or up here due to wildfowl or, or whatever. Uh, that I don't think that's anything that's secret. I think that they were that that case was birds transported from Southern California already infected birds. Is that or has there already been yes. a I don't know what the technical term spread to another flock there in that area? No, it is most likely, and I don't know if they've done all the you know epidemiology and molecular biology, but but based upon the reports that I've seen, it is most likely traced to a the current outbreak in Southern California. Um, okay. So that's where this, these biosecurity things kind of start coming into into, um, into play, um, because we obviously this, want to avoid that kind of transmission. And then right now, currently, uh, I share. I think I shared this with folks on Facebook. The state vet, I think it was the state vet, has not forcefully say cancel any poultry shows, but I guess at this point, highly recommended that there be no poultry shows. Uh, in I guess that region. I don't think it's statewide. Is it just in that region right now? Is there it's actually state. Um, it's actually statewide. So okay. um, my understanding of that of that recommendation from the the state vet at the California Department of Food and Agriculture is that they would um, there because of the the seriousness of the virus and the implications mm-hmm. that that when it does um, infect flocks that there is no cure um, that it's highly transmissible. That because of that, um, they are at this point strongly recommending that um, any kind of events related to poultry um, are are um, postponed for now. Um, so we do workshops, for example, that are focused on free range and pasture poultry commercial producers. And we have in the past, I know, yeah, I, I understand the chuckle. We have in the past tried to. Uh, try to do um in addition to the kind of uh, the didactic part of the workshop we we have tried to do farm tours and we 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 have um obviously changed our practices because of that especially in, in southern california for any planned workshops that we that we sure. are thinking about in the near future okay. um and then the the virus yeah. itself the virus itself it it um it does really well in these conditions like this is this is flu season um, flu is a virus. Uh, Newcastle is a virus. Newcastle doesn't affect us. Sometimes you can get what's called conjunctivitis in your eye, but that's about the extent of any type of uh, infection in humans, and that's rare in itself. Um, but but viruses, especially these kind of respiratory viruses, are are very common in the winter time. So we need to try to slog through the winter as best as we can, as far as control and mitigation um, and biosecurity. Um, uh-huh. and trading practices um, and be as, as, as vigilant as we can and kind of spread the word as best as we can um, so we can try to um, try to get ahead of the outbreak as best as possible because this, this will probably go on for months. And this is, this is back-breaking work, and it's, um, it's not easy trying to understand, you know, uh-huh. where, especially because backyard poultry we just don't know that much about. So understanding uh, trading um and and those type of movement patterns can be very challenging mm-hmm. um and there's some great tools to do that now but it's it's not it's not easy unfortunately okay. um all right 
Yeah, so the, I think that's a good transition because we, we talked, you know, obviously about biosecurity and, and everyone probably is, is, is kind of sick of me kind of talking about that all the time. But it's always good to remind people of, I think, the obvious sometimes. Um, but another thing to, to consider um, are uh, vaccinating strategies. And, and I want to talk about vaccinating strategies against a couple of diseases, but I want to start out, since we're talking about Newcastle disease, I want to, I want to start out by talking about Newcastle disease. Um, and, and just at the generic level, before we kind of dive into to Newcastle disease vaccine strategies, um, it's really important to realize that there is no cookie cutter vaccine program. Um, and, and I think this can be frustrating and confusing to backyard poultry owners and enthusiasts because sometimes you just want to know, what am I supposed to do? Tell me the answer. And in some things, that, that's a very clean cut, you know, simple answer about what you should do. Like Merrick's vaccine, for example, is, in my opinion, and I think in most um, people that, that uh, focus on poultry, is a very simple, clean answer on what vaccine to use. Um, how to get that vaccine, um, you know, those type of things are, are just simple and clean. Um, other vaccines can be a little more challenging. Um, even if you, you want to even decide at the beginning if, if, if it's even useful and worthwhile to give the vaccine. Um, so if you have a, a closed flock and, and you're in you know, Maine or something like that and you don't trade any birds, that's the, what a closed flock means, I, I would be hard-pressed to have a compelling reason at this point to convince you to uh, vaccinate your flock against Newcastle disease. But if you're in Southern California and you're near the affected area, um, then in that situation, absolutely. So you have, you have two different flocks, and, and obviously geography is the, is the variable there that we're taking into account. Um, but there are also other things to think about, um, types of chickens that you have. Uh, for example, there's a disease called infectious bursal disease. Infectious bursal disease, um, when layer birds, when their kind of genetics get affected with that virus, they get, they get very sick and, and they have mortality. They can die very commonly, very often. Um, but if we took a broiler breed and gave it that same exact virus, um, it would basically just look at it and kind of shrug its shoulders. Um, so there are kinds of, there are all different types of considerations to kind of think about. Um, and and I, I just want to make people aware that um, it's it's not, those, those cookie cutter answers are not always available. And if someone ever tries to give you a cookie cutter answer um, when it comes to uh, most things in biology and most things in poultry, um, you know, it's, it's unfortunately not always that simple. Every once in a while it is, but um, for the most part, it, it just is not that simple. And there are no simple answers. Like uh, I think predator control is probably the best example I could think of where if someone tries to sell you some uh, technology that they say is going to repel all predators, um, I, would, uh, I would be very skeptical of that, unfortunately. <laughs> And if someone ever tells you, now I'll go on my apple cider vinegar rant, if anyone ever tells you that apple cider vinegar is going to protect or immunize or anything against Newcastle disease, I would be also very skeptical and ask for um, some kind of evidence other than, um, you know, whatever Internet website that they that they went to. And I think we all know that intuitively, but sometimes there's a couple squeaky wheels out there that, that, that don't uh, appreciate that. Right. <laughs> when um... – when I was promoting the show on a, uh, yesterday and today on the Facebook Live video, I, I told you know, I was telling folks just what we just did. You know that um, we'll probably share kind of an array of vaccines that are available for your poultry, and then considerations of which ones may, based on where you live in the country and what outbreaks going on near you, or what kind of um, surroundings, or if you have a history of say uh, foul pox in your area, which ones may work their way closer to the top of the list for you. 
Um, and then I went to say, because, um, and you'll let me know right, wrong, or the other, but from you being on the show and, and Dr. McRae and uh, other nutrient and everybody else over a 10-year period, I would say uh, that if, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's like, okay, so we have this long list of vaccines that are available, and we have this, this area of, you know, your history and uh, outbreaks in your area and where you live and things that are going on and the history of things that are going on, but at the end of the day, if there was, and I'll get this out early just so that people have to break away, but if there was one <laughs> that you choose to give, whether you're ordering baby chicks from whatever hatchery or, what, or you've already got them and you decide to give, if there was one uh, that would be at the top of the list, probably routinely anywhere in the country would be Merrick's. Is that is that a safe assumption? Kind of, Absolutely. You see where yep. I'm going with that. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. I want to get that out that, kind of first before yeah. I break away. Yeah, and we'll talk about Merrick's in a little, but absolutely, that that's the number one killer um, in backyard poultry, and and I think that to me is the lowest hanging fruit because we know that the vaccine is is very effective, like like everything in biology, it's not perfect, um, but we know it's effective. We know at least you know from all the data I've seen, it's the number one killer of backyard poultry um, in the United States. Um, so to me, that's a great opportunity if if we're if we're able to either vaccinate our birds properly against Merrick's disease or convince um, via yeah. the power of our pocketbooks, convince our hatcheries and feed stores to insist on vaccinated um, birds, then, then we can, you know, have a significant effect on, on, on that level of mortality. So that's, to me, I always see that as almost a positive thing. So I'm like, okay, we should be able to make a dent in this um, if, if we're, uh, able to work with feed stores and hatcheries and convince them that that they shouldn't even sell chicks that aren't that are non-vaccinated because there's not a market for them. But and until that changes, the vaccines are literally you know tenths and hundredths of pennies. So it, it's not really an economic decision. It's it's just more of a consumer demand issue. Um, and I can you know tell if I tell a hatchery that they need to vaccinate against uh, Merrick's disease, they'll they'll shrug their shoulders because I'm not buying any birds from them. But if uh, the folks that buy their birds say, I'm not going to buy it from you guys until you, until you vaccinate. Um, then those feed stores will, will start using that as a, uh, as a marketing tool. Like, you know, we're feed store. Mm-hmm. We're the only feed mm-hmm. store in this area that vaccinates against Merrick's disease. You should buy from us. And, and then it'll become this, uh, you know, hopefully it'll become mm-hmm. kind of a, you know, um, something that's, that's common and expected and, and, and we can move on to, to more challenging issues. Cause this, this is really low hanging fruit. We should be able to solve the Merrick's issue. Um, you know, one thing I, I always tell people is that the commercial poultry industry does a great job of Merrick's control because they all vaccinate. Um, and it, it's, it's common and they've, you know, we don't really have Merrick's outbreaks in the commercial poultry industry, but in the backyards we do. And it's, it's primarily because we just don't vaccinate. There are some virulent strains of Merrick's disease that are floating around and depending on which vaccine you use, we're kind of limited on what we can use in the backyard poultry world. Um, but, um, the hatcheries are not limited. So the hatcheries can, can, can use some, um, more sophisticated, uh, vaccines. Um, but even the, you know, the simple, um, what we call HVT, herpes virus of Turkey, um, Eric's vaccine, while it's not perfect, um, if used and, um, applied correctly can be very effective. Um, so anyway, we'll talk about Merrick's just in a, in a couple of minutes, but, um, the thing I wa- really, really wanted to mention on, on, 
uh, Newcastle disease vaccine uh, vaccines is that there are, there are two vaccines that are that are really recommended. Um, there's one that's called B1, and there's one that's called Lasota. Um, and these should be available at feed stores or, or online. Um, they're easy to give. We give them what's called the eye drop method. So you'll, you'll reconstitute the vaccine, and it's actually given um, in as a drop in their eye. So just as like you might give uh, you know a drop of Visine, um, you know, in your eye or something if you have dry eyes or something like that, or you're getting some kind of eye medication. That's the best way to give these these vaccines. Um, and it, it, you don't need any needles or anything like that. It's, it's really just a nice, clean, simple way to give the vaccine. Where it gets challenging, though, is, okay, what's the difference between the B1 and the, and the Lasota vaccine? So the B1 is milder, um, and the Lasota one is a little, um, for lack of a better word, a little harsher, still considered very mild. Um, and you typically want to give the B1 vaccine first, um, and it's typically given very young, uh, it, when the birds are very young, um, and that's when the B1 kind of is probably the, the most efficacious because you're giving it a young bird that's now getting challenged with all these uh, viruses and bacteria and parasites, so we don't want to um, kind of overwhelm its immune system. So in a perfect world, you'd give that anywhere between 8 and 18 days, um, and then that starts getting um, the bird's immune system primed because um, now it's getting exposed to a very mild version of, of Newcastle disease, basically, of the Newcastle disease virus or these, these what we call these paramyxoviruses. And then at that point, um, six weeks later, we, we use the Lasota vaccine as what we call a booster vaccine. Um, and that Lasota one, again, we just give it via the eyedrop method. And, and there's um, some nice videos on YouTube that show um, how to give that if you're, if you're kind of curious. Um, but it's a great way to um, protect um, your flock. And, and, and the whole idea here is that they can still be infectious. If they were exposed to Newcastle disease virus, um, this would protect them from disease. Um, but it's really important to realize that they can still be infected and they can still spread the disease so even if you vaccinate it's still really important um, to um, prevent your birds from being exposed to other birds because now what you've done and this is the only problem with vaccination when we think about kind of a, uh, a herd health from a herd health perspective is that we, we don't want those birds um, to spread virus if they were exposed to Newcastle disease um, because those birds now, in theory, would be unaffected clinically, if that makes sense. Um, so really important to understand that just because your birds, when your birds are vaccinated, just because they're not sick doesn't mean that they don't have or are not carriers of the disease at that point. And where it gets a little more complicated again is that the Lasota vaccine needs to be given periodically after um, you use that first booster. So probably twice a year is, is probably the, the recommendation or is one of the recommendations. This is where, again, you get into a little of the art and the science of, of vaccines. But you'd want to give the Lasota vaccine an additional every six months um, after, that, after that booster. And there's some people that will advocate more vaccines, some people that will advocate less. Um, but twice a year is, is probably reasonable um, with respect to backyard poultry because, I think sometimes if you advocate more, it's going to be one of those things that kind of slips through the cracks and people forget. So you want to do something mm -hmm. practical that makes sense. 
Um, so I would recommend, especially from, from my perspective, if you have poultry, especially in affected areas, and I would, I was, that's not just Southern California anymore, but if you have poultry in affected areas um, or you are um, trying to be cautious after you've done all your biosecurity, after you've made sure that your flock is as um, closed and biosecure as possible, that's when you'd want to consider um, the additional protection of, of vaccination uh, using some iteration of that, of that type of vaccine program. As the birds get older, you can just start with the Lasota vaccine if, if you have older birds already. Um, the thing to be aware of with the Lasota vaccine is that they will show, because you're sticking a live virus in the bird's eye, um, and it's, it's an attenuated live virus, so that's just a fancy way of saying it's, 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 it's kind of weakened, it's mild, um, but it's really important to realize that they can show some clinical signs I think sneezing and respiratory kind of discharge after exposure, that's just the kind of, that's, that's, that's basically the, the consequence of, of, of exposing them to this. Um, so don't, I, I think it's really important to realize that they can show the, some of those clinical signs, but those will go away. And then once those go away, um, they'll have some protection against exposure to um, other Newcastle-like viruses that might be in the environment. So you've immunized them at that point, just like when you, you know, mm -hmm. immunize uh, your children or yourself against uh, the flu virus, for example. Um, so I think the I thing I really want to... I thought of a way, while you were mentioning all that, and again, I've raised some of the challenges, especially when you're like, oh, now it's twice a year you have to do this. And, you know, like I said, we have all aspects of people that listen to the show, um, I mean, across the board. But I was thinking just today that uh, you and I, if we got together and put our brains together and, and got up some supporters financially, we could probably make millions and millions of dollars if we figured out a way to um, uh, infuse vaccination in mealworms. For the backyarders, <laughs> because that, that's all you see now is treat, 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 mealworm, mealworm, so you know, cantaloupe, watermelon, all this stuff. And I'm thinking, wow, if we could just infuse the the Merix, you know, a vaccine in these mealworms, then wow, how easy is that? People would be jumping all over that, and because uh, mm -hmm. they give mealworms out the wazoo. So um, they're kind of joking, but at the same time, it's. Uh, that's a whole other topic about too many treats. But I was just thinking about that, and I was like, man, if we could just, uh, you know, we could, we could vaccinate every flock, backyard flock in America if we just somehow get a mealworm that would <laughs> deliver the, the <laughs> deliver the Merix vaccine. We could knock this out in a year. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, All I right, like it. It's kind, of like, it's kind of like the uh, – <laughs> I had a friend who always was trying to come up with a vitamin-fortified beer. So it's like you got the good news <laughs> and the bad news. At least you're giving them something in there that's, you know, helpful, but, uh, you know, there will be other unintended consequences in the long run. So if you're giving them all these mealworms or chicken scratch, at least you're getting the vaccine delivered to them. But um, we would have other nutritional and um, other problems like that, uh, metabolic problems. <laughs> you're exactly right. Oh, man, that's awesome. All righty. <laughs> So, again, just remember vaccination is not a substitute for good biosecurity. That's still the best way to prevent your flock from getting infected. Um, but I think it's something that we, we really need to kind of consider, um, and, and I want people to be aware of, of how to give it. Um, and it's, it's, it's completely doable. Um, and um, vaccines are not perfect. Um, even when you give them, um, not all of your, you know, not 100% not of your animals are, 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 are protected. And there's all kinds of reasons why we might have vaccine failure, um, which we can go into maybe in a, in a different discussion. But 
Um, you know, this is kind of that general idea of not making perfect the enemy of good. Uh, if we can get to good, if we can get to a, uh, an effective biosecurity program, an effective vaccination program, um, while it's obviously not 100% perfect, that's way better than, than having poor biosecurity and no uh, vaccine on board, especially in, in affected areas. Um, so I wanted to transition um, to uh, Merrick's vaccine. Um, so Merrick's vaccine, and I think I've, I've probably told this joke before, but I apologize. I, I, it's one of my favorite stories. So Merrick's vaccine, the Merrick's virus is a herpes virus. And, and the reason I say that is herpes viruses are very persistent. They don't really go away. Um, they're very challenging. And I had a virology professor in vet school who always told this story that there's two things you can never get rid of. One is land in Pullman, Washington, and the other is uh, the other are herpes viruses. And uh, he said he was speaking. He would only he was talking about one from personal experience, one of those two, and he wouldn't say which. Yeah. One. <laughs> <laughs> So it's important to realize that herpes viruses can, can persist, and the Merrick's disease virus, for example, is, is very persistent in the environment. Wherever you have chickens, you have uh, Merrick's disease virus. It's ubiquitous. So when your chicks are hatched on day one, they are automatically basically being exposed to um, these, um, these type of viruses in the environment. This is one of the reasons why when you do hatch your birds um, and you do bring your chicks home from the feed store, or whatnot, it's so important to make sure um, that you get rid of any feather dander you might have in your coop or in your brooding area because the virus itself um, is localized in uh, the shaft of feathers. Um, so it's really important to get rid of all that feather dander. So let's say you vaccinated your birds against Merrick's and you you brought your 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 birds home or you got them you got them vaccinated now you're exposing them to a huge kind of bolus of virus in the environment and even the best vaccines um are are not going to be efficacious if you're exposing um the the patient or in this case your chicks to a heart, a, a, a high amount of virus in the environment so you want to you want to give them every advantage possible so vaccination's great biosecurity is great getting rid of all that feather dander is great um and i think that's one of the things that people sometimes forget that that feather dander is so essential to get rid of um because especially in older birds uh, even the vaccinated birds are going to be carriers of the virus so it's really important to um, make sure that your younger birds are not getting exposed to a high amount of virus in the environment. They'll get exposed to some, um, but the vaccine can, can help. Um, the vaccine has a fighting chance, if you will, if there's um, much less virus in the environment. Um, so the Merrick's vaccine is, is, is probably one of the best examples in, in medicine in general of, of how effective vaccines can be. We just don't see Merrick's disease virus in the commercial poultry industry, um, in part because uh, we get rid of all that feather dander, and in part because we have very effective vaccines um, that work very well against um, all the different strains of Merrick's disease uh, virus that are, that are in the environment. Um, but the things that, you know, I think from the kind of backyard poultry perspective, in a perfect world, we want to work with a hatchery that gives the vaccine um, because for, for two reasons. First of all, some hatcheries can give the vaccine in ovo, which is just a fancy way of saying that they can give the vaccine in the egg itself um, while that embryo is still developing. So at eight, remember all chicks hatch at about 21 days or so. 
Um, so the vaccine can be given on the 18th day of incubation. Um, and um, that's the best way to give the vaccine because now the bird can, is getting a little head start. So instead of getting the vaccine at day one of age and then mounting an immune response, now it's getting it at day minus four of age. Um, and it can start early um, mounting an immune response against that, that vaccine challenge. So that's the perfect way to get the vaccine. It's obviously um, not always viable. So if you hatch your own eggs, if you work with small hatcheries um, that can't afford or doesn't have the expertise for that type of in instrumentation, um, then in that situation, don't make perfect the enemy good. That's where the day one vaccine, uh, day of age vaccine against the um, Merrick's disease virus by this HVT vaccine, herpes virus, the turkey vaccine is, is also very effective. Excuse me. It's also very effective. Um, it's not perfect. It's not as good as some of as, as the Inovo vaccines, but um, it's still very effective and um, can be uh, essential in protecting um, your birds from Merrick's disease. I know a lot of people always say like, well, my birds never had Merrick's disease. So I don't want to mess with it with a good thing. And um, that's true, but you know, I, I, I have, I get a lot of phone calls from a lot of backyard poultry owners and that seems to be a very common, um, kind of thing where people say, look, I've had chickens for 20 years. We never had Merrick's disease. I never vaccinated. And now all of a sudden we got Merrick's disease. So, um, saying you haven't had it before is, is, you know, obviously great, but, um, the reality, especially with Merrick's disease is that eventually you, you will get it. Um, it's, 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 it's very common, um, a lot of birds, and we just don't know enough about the genetics, but, but some birds do have some um, resistance against diseases. So there are some birds that are very resistant, that are relatively resistant against Newcastle disease, for example, and there's a lot of interest in that kind of area. Um, so it, it, uh, it does imply that there are other um, genetic profiles in, in poultry that, that also have some resistance. Um, until we 100% know that those are effective, um, you know, I, I don't see the value in, in kind of rolling the dice and not vaccinating um, just because it's, it's so easy to control. But I know there are people that are working on that, and that's great work, and I'm, I'm uh, you know, definitely intrigued by that. Um, there are some, you know, really interesting, there's some really interesting work with um, Fayumi breeds, for example. So Fayumi are these Egyptian chickens that have a lot of disease-resistant characteristics when I think it comes to Newcastle and I think coccidiosis. Um, the only problem with Fayumi is that if you talk to some people that have actually ever worked with them, they, they are challenging to work with. They can be a little meaner as far as chickens go, um, and they're not very productive. So um, when people ask, like, well, why, why don't we have those breeds? Um, there's always, unfortunately, a region, a reason. And in the perfect world, you want to you want to kind of figure out what genes are the genes that are, you know, the magical disease resistance genes. And it's not, you know, that they're 100% disease resistant. It's just that they offer more protection for whatever reason. And you want to crossbreed those um, those strains of birds with other strains of birds that are maybe nicer, more productive, um, et cetera, et cetera. And there's some really interesting work going on in that area. And then this goes in, into that whole, you know, whole CRISPR revolution where people are now trying to identify the specific genes that they might want to um, put into, into specific, you know, food animals that are disease resistant or that make them more productive and things like that. But that's obviously a, a different topic for a different time. Um, so if you hatch your own eggs or if you work with a small hatchery, um, there is nothing wrong with, with using, uh, having them vaccinate on day one of age, or if you hatch your own eggs, you vaccinate on day one of age. 
Uh, the vaccine is, is very simple to uh, reconstitute. You're basically just adding a sterile diluent. They give you everything. Um, there is on our website, we have some nice instructions on how to give that vaccine. We, you give it subcutaneously. So you're just giving it um, underneath the skin. Um, but it has to be given day one of age. Um, and, and the reason is because that virus is so ubiquitous. On day one of age, those birds are already exposed to the virus. So the logic is that if you, if you wait till day two or one week or two weeks or three weeks, it's typically too late by that point. They're already exposed to the virus. They're already trying to mount their own immune response kind of from scratch as opposed to having um, the, um, the vaccination kind of approach as far as protection. Um, so people call me up and say, well, what if I gave it day two? Is that going to be bad? And I go, no, it's, it's not bad. It's just we just don't know how well that works or doesn't work. Um, so if they gave it at one week or two weeks, I, I, you know, the only thing that they end up losing is, is their money and, 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 and uh, the vaccines aren't horribly expensive, but, but we know it doesn't work as well just because of that exposure um, issue on day one of age. So that would be my, my recommendation. Always make sure you're working with hatcheries and feed stores that are, that are vaccinating or you're, if, you, if you need to, um, to vaccinate the birds yourself, always make sure it's done at day one of age. Um, and that's the best way to kind of control um, in addition to the biosecurity and, and removing any type of um, a feather dander. Okay. And hey, I got to go to commercial break, but I, I did uh, a Facebook Live this earlier in the week about uh, some myths and rumors that were going out on the Facebook forums and blogs and whatnot about the multitude of chicks. Now during chick days, you'll see at the big box stores, the chain stores, even your mom and pop store. And now like you had alluded to earlier that these, for you know, 99.5% of the time, these are not vaccinated with anything. And yeah. um, like I said, I just don't think they're going to be spending the money, the extra money, when uh, some some customers may not want it. Some may, but and they may not even know about the It's possible newbies and things like that. So I did make that clear to a lot of folks who, who follow me that you know, the bulk of these are not uh, vaccinated What whatsoever so um but i got to go to a commercial break real quick doc and then when we come back we'll continue we're talking with dr maurice Pateski, poultry veterinarian and we're talking about vaccine considerations for your poultry and there'll be more to come when we return after this break thank you for staying with us since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg's family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at strombergschickens.com. That's strombergschickens.com. Sweet PDZ has been keeping horse stalls ammonia-free and healthy for nearly 33 years. However, ammonia is ammonia, regardless of the species producing it. Therefore, it will do the same great job in your chicken coops and brooders. Sweet PDZ safeguards flock health by neutralizing and eliminating harmful levels of ammonia and odors. Safe and effective moisture absorption. All-natural, non-toxic, premium-grade zeolite mineral. Contains no masking scents or chemical perfumes. Safe and beneficial to dispose with waste on compost and gardens. Learn more at SweetPDZ.com. 
That's SweetPDZ.com. Metzer Farms is now hatching and shipping the premier egg layer. This girl is consistently laying jumbo eggs with a higher nutrient density and lower water content than your eggs now. She is an extremely hardy bird and the most heat and cold tolerant egg layer available, allowing for year-round outdoor production. An eggshell unmatched in sturdiness and thickness, making cracks a thing of the past. Increase your health and double your egg profits. Of course, we're talking about ducks. Duck eggs are revered by chefs for their succulent flavor and by bakers for being the better baking egg. Learn more about this extraordinary duck, the Golden 300, or any of our other 35-plus breeds of ducks and geese at MetzerFarms.com and order your next flock from us. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialists. Brincy has been a world-leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at Brincy.com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com, for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. All righty. I want to also send a, uh, another shout-out to uh, Rita Marie's Chicken Coops. We received our chicken coop from them on Tuesday. And um, I'll be quite honest with you, um, I guess we should know better, but I guess I always associated with you know someone advertising Amish made or Amish chicken coops that it was, you know, without a doubt going to be the, the primo, premier, top of the top. After receiving this and having had um, Amish claimed built chicken coops in the past um, and seeing the difference in the quality of materials, I mean, I can, if I still had those other coops, um, I have gifted them to other chicken owners. And I've, I've, known, I've been known to do that in the past a lot, especially when we were traveling the country full-time for like five years, uh, spreading the chicken love, uh, 33 states and counting, um, that uh, I was like, look, you know, I've got seven chicken coops in my backyard. Let's, let's, uh, let's get some other people started in backyard poultry and let them enjoy these. Um, just, I mean, I've already started to go down the list earlier 
about the different quality of construction that I've seen with this particular coop. So go check them out at largechickencoops.com. Uh, man, you can pick out, well, let me rephrase that. You can have your wife uh, <laughs> pick out the color she wants, the trim color, coop color, and there's a, a bazillion different uh, options and upgrades you can choose to get in these coops, folks. And uh, you'll see me continue to uh, feature this coop in my videos, and we're using this coop right now testing a new odor control bedding. It's not even on the market yet. It's been in production for a year, and they have another six months or seven months before they're even thinking about releasing it um, retail. So we're testing it right now like we do so many other products here on the farm. Let's get back to Dr. Pateski here and, um, and let him continue with this uh, very important topic today of vaccine considerations with poultry. Uh, Doc, I'll turn it back over to you. Yeah, great. Thanks, Andy. Um, so I think, you know, I, I want to talk about one or two more vaccines, depending on how much time uh -huh. we have. But the, the thing I really sure. wanted to kind of mention, again, just in, in the general sense, is that I know when we buy our chicks, we get sometimes a little distracted and we get really excited. And uh, we want to make everything, you know, perfect and look clean and, and all those type of things. And, and those are all great, you know, kind of goals. Um, but we really need to remember that uh, vaccines should be kind of part of that routine. And I think... Um, you know, changing that culture is, is, will, will take time, um, but that needs to be something that we also kind of consider, especially just with the way the world works, where uh, even if we don't want to be as connected as, um, as interconnected, uh, diseases obviously don't always respect, um, you know, our, our preference to kind of be isolated. So we need to be aware that um, diseases can, can move, and, and we don't know what our neighbors are always doing. So uh, biosecurity and vaccination are, are certainly appropriate things to consider. Uh, wildlife are also kind of one of these um, um, kind of things that's a wild card. Um, so wildlife obviously do not respect um, fences or anything like that, and, and uh, that's just one of the other realities. And then the other thing is diseases can spread uh, via wind and um, via dander and, and all these different type of things that, uh, that, we're, that we're all aware of at some level or another. Um, so it's really important. I, I, I'm remembering when I was on a, a breeding farm um, in, the, uh, in some of the Plain States a few years ago, and to get onto these farms, these are the grandparent flocks, or the parent flocks, excuse me, of the birds that you and I eat or the um, the parents of the, the layer birds. So they, they have very good biosecurity on these farms. Um, so, if, for example, when you walk onto some of these places, you have to take all your clothes off, you take a shower, and then they give you some uh, clothes and a Tyvek suit to wear. And then when you get off the farm, you do the opposite. Um, just to make sure you're not carrying anything on there. You haven't been on, you haven't touched any poultry. You have to sign documents that say you haven't touched any poultry for uh, two or three days, depending on the rules, um, before you go on to those farms. Um, and the, the part that kind of made me laugh is I was walking on to one of these farms, you know, it was in, in the kind of plain states and it was a real windy day. And you could just see these, all this, this dust just blowing from miles and miles and miles onto the farm. Um, so obviously who knows what's in that dust is viruses, bacteria, whatever it be. Um, but you can't control that. Um, but you can control obviously that, that the clothing that we're wearing, you can't control who's going on to your backyard. Um, those are things you can control. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, you can only control what you can control. So, um, it's really important just psychologically and also from a biosecurity perspective, um, to reduce, um, any kind of risks as much as possible. You're obviously not eliminating them, but you're but you're reducing them. So hopefully that's. I'm going to go. I'm going to go, yeah. go out on a limb here, and uh, because I've been before, and I know the answer. But 
I don't suspect next week there's going to be a foot bath at the entrance of the IPPE. <laughs> <laughs> that that is funny that you say that. Actually, it's so we in Davis, and I don't know if we still have it, but in Davis, California, where where I am, we have this uh, tour de cluck. And uh, it's yeah, very yeah. funny. It generates a lot of attention, and and people, you know, everyone loves riding their bikes in Davis. So you can, um, people are showing off their coops in the spring, and they go from you know backyard to backyard to backyard. So, yeah. um, you know, to kind of, there's obviously some risk involved in that, but people like to show off their chickens and their coops and all their you know, backyards and things like that. And it's kind of this kind of silly Davis tradition. Um, but uh, a few years ago, to your point, I, I was like, well, there are some disease risks here. So I worked with the organizers to make sure we had foot baths. And uh, the foot baths had some bleach in them. And you should have seen how many letters I got from people that were complaining that the bottom of their um, of their pants would get bleached by uh, the foot bath, yeah. um, by the bleach that was in there. And they were complaining about how, you know, I was responsible for ruining their, their pants. Um, which obviously from my perspective is a small price before. to pay is a small price yeah. to pay for uh you know the reality of you know trying to prevent disease from spreading from coop to coop to coop um so I had to write these letters back to them saying, yep, I totally understand all my pants have those bleach stains at the bottom <laughs> of them because when I walk on the farms you know it, it, my it just that's just the way it happens you just have to deal with that, and that's just reality but uh it's just I've small really price to pay good. in my mind. Yeah, I've had good success because I, whenever I see those advertised, I, I call the or, or send an email to the uh, um, presenters or the, the organizers, and I've ha- actually I've had really good response, really good success and track record of of sending them recommendations and them actually implementing it, whether it be booties or a foot bath or saying, hey, there's really at the end of the day no reason for these people to be walking in your run and in your coop. If there's something spectacular about the inside of your coop, have a little picture book. But, you know, have a, a, at least an area outside where they can still observe and still see everything they need to see. You can brag about it. But don't, they don't need to be in your run and in your coop. Have an area that, you know, flagged off or roped off. You can only come this far. Um, and then, of course, either booties or, or foot bath, that type of thing. And if you're just not going to do any of that, <clears throat> they don't need to be in your coop or in your run. Just out, <laughs> have a, a designated roped off area. And, and how do they do that in Atlanta? They've implemented some some great biosecurity stuff. Austin is is huge, and they've done really good. And their kudos to them. I'm not sure about the one up in uh, Indianapolis. I know they have one as well, and they may do something um, uh, up there. But uh, regarding that, but yeah, it's kind of whenever we talk about biosecurity, <laughs> I always use those examples. Like, I doubt there's going to be a foot bath at IPPE. You know, everybody globally coming in to for this chicken show, and then also when you see a boiler truck going down the road with all these feathers and <laughs> all this stuff flying off the back of it, you know what I'm thinking? And I'm I, I'm in the poultry capital of the world, Gainesville, Georgia. The state produces more boilers than any other state in the union, and uh, I'll get behind these because I'm right in the thick of all this stuff. And I just and I, again I I I, I chuckle. Uh, and, of course, when I'm behind one, I try to turn off the return air on my truck and maybe try to go around it real quick <laughs> so it's not blowing yeah, inside yeah. the business. But I think I'm like, yeah, biosecurity right there, I'm telling you. So, But, yeah, it's, it's, it's hilarious that those are a couple of examples I have fun with when we talk about that. But uh, trying to make it a serious topic and then try to get a smile on someone's face and say, but let me point this out to you. So it's not, you know, like we say, not perfect. 
Um, we were doing a farm school here, uh, Doc. I don't know if you've seen my post about it, but um, it starts the first week of March. Hopefully, it'll be year-round, but it's it's uh, mainly right now for homeschoolers, but we're going to have summer camps and then maybe uh, some Saturday classes. And so there's many things. So we're going to have like a three- to five-year-old storybook farm uh, one hour a week for kids three to five. There's going to be a gardening class from kids, I think, I want to say it's five to eight. And then, of course, this this – uh, spring a poultry class ages seven to fourteen, and it's uh, one hour one hour a week. So like every Tuesday for ten weeks, and they can go Tuesday or Friday, uh, um, and uh, we gotta stay on that day. And then uh, uh, two hours, it's two out that 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 one's two hours. So two hours on Tuesday, one to three, for ten weeks. And uh, so we will. I've already started getting the biosecure. They'll learn about biosecure. But I'm gonna have a little. I don't. I will do a survey, how many of you have chickens or any kind of farm animals at home? I'm assuming at this point many of them will not. That's why they're coming to get this experience. Um, mm-hmm. But I will have just a little pump sprayer at the gate, at the at the end of the road, at the end of the driveway uh, for tires and wheels. And then uh, we will have a either a foot bath or I'm trying to get uh, a company to sponsor some of those um, foot, what do you call them, little entry pads that you step on. And all this stuff kind of bubbles up, foams up around your boot, right, and you step right. off of them. Right. So trying yeah, to get those right. here for for that. So yeah, biosecurity. So um, okay, continue. But that I thought that was important. We want to talk about that, and we have some fun with that. Uh, with that. So uh, uh, and and one more, I think we're going to talk about. Unless I interrupt you in the middle of the other one, um, foul pox probably. Yeah, I was going to talk a little about foul pox, but but one suggestion that that we've done in the past when we've worked with like 4-H kids and and done some international yeah. work, um, just kind of just to kind of show people the the how things can spread, they do have these kind of UV powders, um, and what you can do is you can um, have your your kids kind of walk in. And uh, you can kind of shake their hands, and you know, you know, tap the the back of their backpack, and you can you can just spray those 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 UV powders. You can put them in different locations, and then at the end of the day, you can kind of sort of see where all the different. If you only put them in one or two places, by the end of the day, if you see where the powder now is spread, um, it's a great way for them to realize, like, hey, this is how diseases spread. Also, so what would we do differently to I... prevent these kind of things from spreading? My wife did so. that. She taught kindergarten. She taught t- kindergarten for ten years, and mm-hmm. first week of class, getting through all the. And what she used was glitter. She put a little yes. bit of glitter on a couple of students' hands, and then at the end of the day, <laughs> they went and found where all this glitter was, all over the room. And there's glitter mm-hmm. here in front of me. I didn't even have it on me this morning, or I've got it on my hand too. And showing those little mm-hmm. pieces of glitter as germs. And uh, it was great for the kindergartners, and they had they had fun with it. But they learned too uh, about the spreading of germs. So uh, we, you know, yeah. I didn't she hasn't mentioned that for this farm school, but I think that's a great opportunity to to do the glitter thing here as well, just to show folks how. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, yep, yep. Bird, hey, look, there's glitter on this bird right here. So you know, it's even on the bird from from you guys giving you know disease to the bird. So thanks for yep. pointing and that if you out. Can get, I'll, if you can I, get two different colors, what, what might be fun too is getting two different colors and having one group be aware of biosecurity and the other group being not aware of biosecurity and just seeing, you know, how one color spreads all over the room and the other one does not hopefully um, <laughs> spread all over the room could be a good, a good lesson learned too. So those are all fun things, but um, yeah. I'm, I'm glad your, your wife, uh, your wife has done that in the past. Um, 
So the last vaccine I wanted to briefly talk about was avian pox. And uh, avian pox is, um, it doesn't, it's not a killer, um, but it does um, create all these, um, what's called dry pox. And, and typically you get all these little uh, scabby kind of nodule things all over their comb and their face and their eyes. Um, so you can imagine, obviously, that that's not very comfortable. So while the birds don't die, um, they typically um, are not as productive. And you can imagine, obviously, as I alluded to, they're not very comfortable. If they're not comfortable, they're not going to be productive, and, and all those kind of things are, are interrelated to each other. So um, the vaccine is, is a little trickier to give. It's almost like a hole puncher that you're, that you're using. Um, and, and what I always tell people, again, with, again, with all vaccines, biosecurity is going to be your best friend. Um, but when it comes to dry pox, if you've noticed that your flock has in the past had dry pox and or you've noticed that some of your neighbors uh, flocks have had dry pox in the, pa- in the past, that is a, a good reason then to consider uh, vaccination. Um, so in a perfect world, you'd give the first vaccine at four weeks of age and then you'd give boosters um, every year after that. Um, and it's a, a very good way of controlling against that kind of um, those type of um, uh, viruses in the environment. Um, it's, it's simple to give in, in the sense that it's, um, you're literally just dipping like a needle, like a two-prong applicator, a two-prong needle. You're dipping it in a solution of vaccine, and then you, you push it literally through the wing, um, and you go straight through. Um, so some people either love doing it, like me, or some people hate it because they're like having to actually um, basically put two tiny holes um, in their bird's wing. Um, and then you'll come back uh, seven to 10 days later and you'll look for what's called a take. And that's just a little scab where that wing is. And that shows that they have, um, they, cre- they had an immune response to it. And now they are uh, immunized against this kind of uh, avian pox uh, virus. Um, so it's very simple to give. The only thing I would suggest in addition to vaccination and biosecurity is making sure that you have, um, it can also be spread mechanically by mosquitoes. So this time of year when it starts getting wet and I'm hopefully, you know, a little warmer in the next month or two, that's when um, we typically see kind of a, um, a spike in, in avian pox cases. And it's because these mosquito populations start going up. So um, reducing any kind of pooling of water in your gutters or any kind of ponding of water in your backyard um, is, is key um, to kind of preventing those mosquitoes. And then um, as an additional protection, the vaccine should be considered. So I usually recommend in backyard flocks to give the vaccine um, late winter um, so you get a nice amount of protection in the spring when we seem to kind of have a, anecdotally, we seem to have a spike of, of avian pox in backyard flocks. So um, those are kind of the main vaccines I want to talk about. Merix is, to me, from my perspective, kind of a no-brainer. Uh, Newcastle, because of where the world we live in now, the interconnectedness of the world, um, the geography that you may or may not be in, um, and proximity to the outbreak, who knows, next month, it might be in another state or two um, in addition to uh, Utah and California. Um, and uh, Newcastle is, is one of those things that you kind of want to – it's very regional or very local. You want to make that decision based upon, you know, past exposure. The kind of unifying theme for all of them is, is there is no cookie-cutter answer to, to when to use all these vaccines for the most part, aside from Merrick's from my perspective. Um, 
but you should um, um, consider geography, um, and that's a really important thing. Consider, you know, risk, um, and then make um, the best decision for you. And, you know, feed stores are great resources. Um, I think people know that, um, but also extension vets like myself um, in Davis, I'm always willing to answer questions when people have them, and there's people like me um, in other states also. So most likely your home state has someone uh, like me, so feel free to reach out to them. But even if you're not from uh, California, you can always reach out to me with additional questions on, on these issues and others. Really quick question. May have missed it on my end. Uh, the uh, avian pox, foul pox, um, that vaccine, and I'm familiar with that, given that, that wing, um, is, is that specifically for both uh, dry pox and I guess there's the wet pox too, like one you, you, you might down in the throat and the mouth, and there's the ones you little black dots on the comb and waddles and things. Um, is that would that that one vaccine for both dry and wet, or there would be separate vaccines for the different? It's types? actually the yeah, it's the exact same virus. Um, and okay. for whatever reason, in North America, we only get the um, the dry pox for the most part. I, I think wet pox in North America is very rare. Um, and I'm not exactly Very sure rare. why that's okay. so, but the wet pox, you get a lot of mortality associated with. That's a much more serious kind of version of the of the virus. And for whatever reason, mm-hmm. we don't seem to get very much of it here, but it is more common in other parts of the world. So if someone thinks they've got a wet pox, would that warrant maybe a call to uh, a local veterinarian or their extension or maybe the state vet or something to say, hey, I think this is you know, with the wet pox? Is that, would it warrant or still just, you know, carry on? I don't think I don't think the avian pox is reportable, but I think the control okay. is is probably the the control and vaccination would be great strategies um, moving forward okay. with the remainder of the flock. Um, mm-hmm. So the control, getting rid of um, you know using larvicides potentially to control mosquito populations, cleaning out gutters, mm-hmm. uh, biosecurity like we always talk about, and then um, vaccinating. So this is a great time um, to start vaccinating. We're we're probably you know what are we yeah. six eight weeks away from spring, so not not a bad time to start thinking about it. All righty. Well, hey, thank you so much. Great information. Very pertinent to everybody that listens to the show and. Um, Again, I learned a lot as well, which is perfect, and always throwing out there about the importance of biosecurity prevention, uh, again, versus treatment. So uh, we always stress that. Uh, Dr. Poteski, thanks for coming on, and I'll uh, look forward to uh, an email with kind of an updated schedule for your time here in Atlanta to see if we can uh, get together and meet face-to-face for the first time in, I guess, five years. You've been writing for the magazine and coming <laughs> on the show. I'd got to make a trip down to Atlanta and, and uh, take you to lunch or dinner or, or, or uh, attend a uh, an event. So uh, we'll, I'm sure, try to see you next week. And thanks for coming on today. We'll see you next month. Great. Good talking to you, Annie. See you in, a, see you in a, less than a week. Yeah, we'll see you then. Thank you so much. Folks, that was poultry veterinarian Dr. Morris Poteski out at UC Davis in uh, California. Poultry vaccine considerations was today's show. If you missed any of it, uh, it'll be archived for your listening pleasure within minutes of the show ending. And then you'll be able to listen to this 10 years from now uh, if we're still around. If not, the podcast will be still around. So, um, but yeah, thanks for tuning in today. We appreciate you. Hey, follow us on Facebook. Just go to Facebook.com, search for The Chicken Whisperer. Uh, we're over on Instagram, The Real Chicken Whisperer. We're on Twitter, which is at Backyard Poultry. And uh, there's no reason for you not to subscribe because it's totally free, the digital edition. It's not a bait and switch. It's not for a limited time. It's not, hey, it's run out. 
totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine, science-based, fact-based, study-based from folks like Dr. Pateski, Dr. Bridget McRae, uh, and the others that, that write for a magazine on a regular uh, Dr. Uh, Zach, um, who's up at uh, you know, uh, Michigan State, I believe, and uh, just everybody. Uh, it's a great, great magazine, um, and there's no reason. It's free, and I'll email it to you four times a year, and you can read through it, and with the information, you can do what you wish, but at least uh, you know you're getting the right information from poultry professionals from around the country. Hey, thanks for tuning in. I am Andy Schneider, also known as the Chicken Whisperer, and I will see you next time. God bless everybody. Yeah, now if I can just find the button on the switchboard. <laughs> Y'all have a good one. Uh-huh.